0: derivative like there's this story my friend todd me, and my we love that band scratch acid mm-hmm. you know from texas and I don't, I don't really think this is totally accurate but then uh my friend ray played uh, the birthday party oh, for yeah. yeah. for todd yeah and he he just had this like sullen look on his face afterwards and ray was like what's the matter he's like i just found out like one of my favorite bands just totally ripped these guys off you know like i thought it was like this original sound or whatever but um but what i was saying gonna say is like a lot of new music like i'm less tolerant of that stuff i guess maybe because i've just spent the last you know 20 years listening intently to music and stuff so you know if i hear a band that sounds like the beach boys yeah to me i'm just like i just would rather listen Listen to the the beach Beach boys Boys, you know it seems like at its worst, m- modern indie music, indie—I'm using very sarcastic air quotes there—is, <laughs> uh, you know, it's. There was a point, definitely, where it became less about expressing yourself and more about like telling people what records were in your record collection. You hmm. know, that's kind of how I viewed it. Do you, you mean just wearing your influences on your sleeve? Yeah, sleep? you know, I mean, like in the old days. You you t- people took a great deal of care to kind of digest their influences and yeah. stuff first you know like I always feel like you know some of these you know I'm not trying to call people out but maybe it will kind of help people or give them a different point of view but like you know you see all these people who are like going around biting CF and stuff like that I mean not even now, not so much anymore now probably they've moved on to biting Michael DeVorge yeah. or something but like you know I sometimes I see that stuff I just kind of shake my head I'm like like back in the day you'd never get away with that like you would you would never you'd you'd have to be smart enough to know that like you can't so blatantly yeah. just ape somebody's style without being considered a total like i mean people would just sneer at it i mean they just laugh at you if you pull tried to pull that off in the old days cuz everything was so like the uniqueness was so highly prized and yeah. it was just really clear you know that that's what you're going for yeah everybody has these influences and draws on things but you got to kind of you know well what i mean I, I guess what i would
1: say about that is um you know, certainly when people are starting out they their influences are a lot more direct i think
0: yeah but uh, even so i mean when when you know it was it's just a different day in comics yeah. there's so many people now doing comics that I realize I can't expect them to have all have the same point of view that me and my peers yeah. did in the early days, or you know, they're coming at comics from a totally different way. But, uh, you know, some of that stuff still is kind of surprising. Like, you know, I mean, I in my life, I think I drew one comic where I like I tried to copy Charles Burns or something, you know, like <laughs> Big Baby. It was like a one page comic, yeah. and it was like, you know, I. It was just like, what am I doing? Like, I can't do this. Like, I can't show this to anybody because it's so. It's like embarrassing, you know. There's not there's not an embarrassment factor anymore, which I think can lead to a lot of derivative work. <laughs> I,
1: I mean, I, th- I think, I think that like one, one of the differences is, in a lot of ways, it's a lot easier to get your stuff out there Absolutely. to get published immediately, and yep. that's why. You know, if if it's on the internet or just the fact that there's like 8,000 indie shows around. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why I think like there used to be sort of a natural period where people, A, would just sort of draw from themselves, develop their work... Or B, maybe they would publish it, but nobody would even see it. And that maybe that's the big difference is that they they haven't developed a style yet. But oh, they're it already is, out there it is.
0: It's huge. I mean when um, I mean when I started doing, I started thinking about this when I was doing the King Cat Classics book and going back and looking at that really early stuff. I mean, you know, the first twenty five or I think it was issue thirty, I made hundred copies, mm. and I was like, Am I crazy? You know, like why did I make so many copies? But Otherwise, I mean, I was making them in batches of 20, yeah, 25. I mean, the first issue that I tried to sell in a store was issue 23, you know, like. um. So, I mean, they were going out there in the mail and stuff mm. like that here and there. But I feel lucky that I kind of got to, like, develop in almost a vacuum, you know. I think about that term woodshedding and jazz, mm-hmm. you know, where, like. Like, I think literally, like, Charlie Parker, like. Went out in his mom's woodshed yeah. in Kansas City or yeah. whatever, and just like played all night till like his fingers fell off. You know, it's and the
1: ten the ten thousand hours thing. 10, yeah, 000, yeah, yeah.
0: And he's just like busting his ass. nope nobody's there. Yeah, telling him it's good or it sucks or whatever. He's like, not only learning how to play, but also developing this really good critical sense for towards hmm. his own music. You know. <clears throat> yeah, and then you like do that process and you go through it, and then at some point you're ready to go out and. You know so in some ways I look at those early years as these like wood shedding years yeah. so you know I think uh, yeah I, and I understand I'm not like trying to like rag on people I, I realize it's a different world I feel, I mean if anything I just feel lucky yeah that I got to come up in a world in that kind of scene where you know <clears throat> I mean I'm you know this is probably a exaggeration you know' um, on the on the short side of things but you know i think about those early years of doing comics in zine form and stuff i mean there were a lot of people doing mini comics right like you know like specifically like the little four and a Mm -hmm. quarter by five and a half mini comics and those were you know there was that whole mini comic small press comics kind of scene my friends and i were doing something a little bit different which was i think just like making comics in a zine form versus a mini comics form which to me the difference would be just it was like more personal we were really more concerned with artistic expression or like kind of li- a literary sense and stuff i'm hmm. i'm thinking about people like jenny Zerbakis and jeff Senick and tom Hart and dave Lasky and megan kelso and these people in the late 80s early 90s who were doing something a little bit different than that kind of more traditional small press comics hmm. thing where it was like superhero parodies mm-hmm. or whatever like the
1: sort of the crumb school
0: well not yeah i don't even know i mean the i mean the history of small press comics you know you get into uh post undergrounds when the underground thing imploded it's about the time you know i mean if you go back and look at those fanographic collections like the new wave comics collection and stuff like that that's the kind of stuff i'm talking about where it was you know all of a sudden like undergrounds kind of imploded the distribution networks for underground yeah. imploded and it kind of also w- corresponded to the rot like photocopiers coming on the scene you know and so it was easy to like just make small batches of these comics and you, they'd make you'd make that mini comic format you know you could get eight pages out of a double-sided sheet of you know eight and a half by eleven paper it was really cheap and so there was that whole small press kind of explosion new wave comics explosion But, uh, I mean, there's just a little, and I'm not, again, I'm not ragging on this stuff. I just think the stuff we did had a little slightly different sensibility. But my my point was that, you know, there were these people like Dave Lasky and Tom Hart Mm -hmm. and Jennifer Daydreamer and Julie Doucet. And, I mean, even Chester Brown was doing, you know, self published comics and stuff like that. And,. We were all friends and stuff, you know, we knew about each other. But if you look at those things, I mean, they're all complete. I mean, they couldn't be more different in style and tone and stuff because everybody's really concerned with, like, doing something really unique.
1: The movement was more about the medium, maybe the distribution, maybe... um,
0: And a kind of a greater, like, overarching sensibility. But not aesthetic. Not stylistic or aesthetic at all, you know which you know it's a different world now i mean it's just simple math like you know if you've got a dozen people doing this kind of thing it's going to be one thing if you got 1200 people across the country doing it or twelve thousand, or whatever it is now you know there's going to be a lot more going on people come to it from different points of view and have different goals with what they want to do and um I'm just kind of blathering like an old man because I'm tired now. But, no, you know, no, it's it's no. interesting it to is. look at. But I do, I mean, I. somebody asked me on this tour, like, I don't remember what the question was, but my answer was, like, I feel very lucky that I was born in the time period I was. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I was born in the right place, mm-hmm. you know, the yeah. right place in time to be exposed to this kind of stuff, to, to punk And I mean, you know, I mean, I'm talking post-punk, you know, like I'm not not talking 77 Liberty Spikes and stuff like that. I'm talking, you know. We were talking about hardcore. Yeah, hardcore and and the stuff that came post-hardcore. And, uh, but they add in like zine culture and the proliferation of photocopiers and, you know, um, it was the right time for me. Yeah. So, you know.
1: You, see, you seem like somebody who needs some, I guess, limitations or or a framework, you know, whether it's self-imposed or in this case, I guess, kind of sort of technologically, at least as compared to what we have now. But, but you know, it's something to work within.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, you mean just like formally? Like yeah. Kind of like the format of the... You know, or the, you know,
1: the, or the, you know, the, the, the mail order or the photocopper copiers.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how to think about that. It's just the way it was for me, you know? Um, I mean, you know, I mean, there's certain reasons. Some of it is just like aesthetic reasons and some of it is personal reasons, but some of it is just like technological, like there's a reason that I think in black and white in terms mm-hmm. of comics is because that was the only option. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you know I, I i do the distro you know spit in half and i go to a show and i put out this whole array of 100 books and they're all like blowing your mind they're so beautifully mm-hmm. printed and all this color exploding and everything and then there's this like little dingy section of black and white king cats in the corner and it's like yeah okay well
1: yeah but you know like you know, with but the that's exception the way of... i
0: think i mean i'm not i'm yeah. happy to work that way i i like the way it looks well
1: exactly and and you know with the exception of like some of you know like that a little, you know, the hospital suite cover, like where there's like little bits and pieces of color. I can't imagine what your stuff would look like in full color. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe I, maybe it could work.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I've never, I mean, I've done maybe three pieces in color, three comics in yeah. color my whole life. And, uh, mostly, I mean, cause I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I, I mean, I mean, I have a color sensibility, you know, and stuff like that. But as far as like, you know, yeah, how to put color down on a page, Tech, like physically. You know, like with watercolor or whatever. I guess you could, you know, com- color things with a computer, but I just don't know how to do that stuff really, and I don't particularly care to learn. So when I do the stuff, when I've done, like I said, it's maybe like every ten years I do a couple pages in color, mm-hmm. and I'm usually pretty disappointed in myself.
1: Just uh, the, like the the work specifically calls for color
0: or you just want no, to try something new? No, I have an opportunity new. and someone's yeah. like, oh, I should try it. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll, I guess I'll try something. But yeah, it, it's, I mean, to me, I've been joking. My, one of my mottos lately, which is like a partial, partially joking, but partially serious is like color is a tool of the man. Like it's just, <laughs> it's, it's selling it's, out. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's just adding to the, to the spectacle. It's just like, mm. it's like adding all this extra like fluff to to things that yeah. doesn't isn't required. I'm I'm kidding because like I love. I mean I'm just like any other comics fan. I'll walk up to somebody's table or pull something off a shelf, and it's just this yeah. beautiful, you know, full color stuff. And of course I I love it. I'm not. I'm that's the part that I'm kidding about. But the part that I'm not kidding about for me is that I really do just kind of feel for my own work. It's just something that's superfluous. It doesn't. It's a it's, distraction, it's, maybe. Yeah, it's a distraction. Yeah. Yes, exactly, and that's what I mean by spectacle. It's it's a distraction that yeah. kind of ends up taking you away from the main point. Has your? Um, um,
1: do, do, do you, I mean, I've been, I've been thinking a lot about about meditation. You know, I've had a kind of a, a stressful year, um, and it seems Buddhism and and meditation. Seem pretty conducive to this idea of minimalism, and I'm wondering if you know. Obviously, your stuff aesthetically is pretty minimalist.
0: Depends. I mean, you know, I I particularly am interested in Zen Buddhism. Yeah. Which is, you know, I mean, it's probably a kind of a mushy to say that it is minimal, but Mm. it is kind of focused and it's, it's yeah refined and it's kind of quiet. And,
1: um, yeah, quiet's probably a better word than minimalist.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, to a certain extent, it's it's about getting rid of the extra stuff so that you can focus on that thing that's like yeah. you're trying to focus on. But then, I mean, if you look at Tibetan Buddhism or something, that I mean, those are people who make these like giant, you know, beautiful, eye-popping, rainbow-colored mm-hmm. tankas and these paintings and sand ma- mandalas, and you know, that that is a, that's also Buddhism, but it's You know, just aesthetically, if nothing else, it's, it's a, like, colorful, it's vibrant, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's intense.
1: But the sand, you know, the sand things are teaching a very specific lesson, it seems like, about transience and...
0: Yeah, no, and that, yeah, that's true, but I'm just saying, like, so, I'm just probably being nitpicking because I'm tired or something, but just saying that, like, you know... Buddhism in itself is not necessarily a minimalist kind of thing. Sure. There's all kinds of ways that people approach it, but but it is about,
1: it's about it is about sort of quieting.
0: Well, it's about finding it's about finding the essence of things. Yeah, you know.
1: Okay, I mean, again, maybe that's a better way of putting it. I'm just wondering if that how much that's informed. What you do,
0: yeah, I mean I mean there's there's no way that it hasn't because <laughs> it's I mean it's like you know, and I can't speak to other kind of forms of Buddhism, but for I mean Zen is very much about um, you know finding in, enlightenment in everyday life mm. like enlightenment is here all the time, we just don't recognize it. And yeah. so when I talk about removing those layers of distraction and stuff like that and paring it down to the essence, it's like this thing is here all the time. We just don't see it, hmm. you know? It's like um, the metaphor would be like, you know, the sun goes behind some clouds. It doesn't mean the sun isn't there. It's mm-hmm. just that it's obscured, you know? And um, so that definitely is... I think part of has informed what I do. But again, like, I feel like for me personally, I feel like I was kind of on this path to start with. Hmm. Um, I was trying to engage with everyday life and find some kind of deeper essence, deeper meaning. Before bo- you really knew oh, yeah, what this yeah, was. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, from the time I was a little kid. and hmm. You know, I always knew my art was, my art was always focused on real life, like, you know, like, Which to me, real life is like a term that I just use as shorthand for that kind of essential life, you know, Hmm. like the the stuff at the heart of life.
1: It's not just uh,
0: nonfiction. Right, right. Yeah, it's kind of a way of dealing with the world. And so my art, I tried to do that. I mean, of course, real life includes, you know, Good Morning America. Or whatever kind of garbage that we have to s- slog through every day, you know. So it's, I mean, and that's the thing too with Zen is it you're not you're not denying or like avoiding or hiding hmm. all the junk of the world. It's a it's a it's a way of like your your perception mm-hmm. turns so you can see this stuff for what it is everything the good the so I'm using air quotes again the, the so-called good the so-called bad you know um and so those were kind of things that I was really interested in as a human as an artist but as a human being <clears throat> for a long long time and I feel like kind of when I found zen it was kind of an affirmation mm. of that yeah, approach to life You're, you know it kind of was like you know I, had, I was living this life I was having these questions and trying to develop this approach to living that was kind of amorphous you know it was yeah. kind of like scattered and I you know I didn't really understand what was going on or why I felt this way or things you know it was just this kind of thing that I was working with through my life and Zen kind of gave a structure to that yeah. it was like Oh, okay. This is why I'm interested yeah. in this kind of thing. This is what kind of I'm maybe picking up intuitively from my experience. Or... It,
1: it was like it was sort of like making mini comics on your own, and then realizing that there's a world of people. Yeah, out actually, there that's their... a really good way of putting it. Yeah. It,
0: it. It really is. You know, it was like, oh, okay, <laughs> like you know, and so it 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 just helped me focus those kind of things and maybe give a little bit more. Um, structure to mm. that kind of kind of thinking. It, it just kind of kind of helped helped me on that path. Yeah, kind of move along a little bit. You know, so that's how I feel about Zen. You know, and I mean, it's hugely important to me. That it, it, I mean, Zen is the kind of thing. It's it, it, it's a practice. It's not like you go once a day and sit down for half an hour on a cushion and and meditate and that's zen i mean zen is every moment <laughs> and so you're you're always practicing you know and that really corresponds to the way i feel with my comics which is like i always would tell people like i'm always doing king cat even if i'm not yeah drawing like doing king cat Goes way beyond just sitting there and drawing comics, photocopying them, and like standing behind a table at a show or something. To me, doing King Cat is my whole life, and I I don't mean like all oh, like, I You know, it's the, my favorite thing. It's the thing I focus on. I mean, it literally is my whole life. I feel like walking around the block or sitting here talking to you is also doing King Cat.
1: But maybe these are, in a way, I'm I'm wondering if these are sort of conflicting ideas because I, I've spoken to a lot of cartoonists who do autobiography and you know they've a few not not all of them but a few of them have spoken to me about getting to that point where you're almost seeing things as panels you're walking around and you're thinking like oh you know what could this sure. make a comic and i'm wondering if that's taking you out of the moment
0: I would say that at some point, I, th- I think maybe that does. And it, it probably does. I mean, I remember this was like ages ago, but I think it was perfect planning. It was some James Kachalka story where mm. he's, he's walking around the lake with his wife and he's like overcome by the beauty of this scene, this moment or whatever. And, and he's like, why can't I just enjoy it? Yeah. Like, why can't I just be here? Why do I feel compelled to like put this down on paper and, I think that's kind of a good question, but I I think it answers itself pretty quickly if you think about it. I mean, first of all, some people are born to be cartoonists. Mm -hmm. We're born to put this stuff down on paper. We're born to express this experience through comics to other people. And I think if you do this thing long enough, you come to terms with that you know this is what I do this is and this is how I do it um and I think too that you know I, I try really hard I don't want to be like didactic or proselytizing or whatever and maybe that's what James was talking about too but you know you go through life and you have this experience that's really intensely beautiful and improves your quality of your life mm and you want to share that with people because you want people to also be able to have that experience you know you, you want people to be able to f- feel the beauty of being alive <laughs> and so how do you do that well for cartoonists you you express it in comics form and hope that people can relate or be inspired by it you know so those are the things that i think about that um you know and it probably it does take you out of the moment a little bit if at some point where you're walking down the street and you you know I don't think I'm a person who's like walking down the street something happens and I instantly start thinking about okay well I'm gonna start with the squirrel in the top left panel and yeah then, you know I'm gonna have another half panel and then like a two two panel s- spread below <laughs> you know I, I'm not like analyzing yeah. how I'm gonna do it but I may have the inspiration of like this might be a comic hmm. but. I don't. I don't know that for me personally it interferes in and yeah. being there. I mean, it's to a certain extent, it does. You know, like. But it's your job. I mean, maybe it helps because I, I heard. I just heard an interview with somebody. Um,
1: are, you, are you familiar at all with it? There's a podcast called Buddhist Geeks. Um, I, they they do a a conference actually, and um, I think they're doing it in Boulder this year in mm. in October. Um, they. But they had a photographer on, and he was sort of talking about how photography lent itself to his Zen practice. Mm-hmm. And I can sort—I can see that in a sense. I mean, I—I I, uh, I mean, uh, in one sense, there's there, there's the whole like going to a rock show and then holding up the camera and like, or you know, holding up the phone and watching the phone through that. And obviously, that's yeah. as out of the moment as you can be. Yeah. But maybe. The flip side of that, and maybe this is something comics does really well, is maybe it gets you to the heart of what's important. I mean, that's your job, right? It's to sort of distill what's important sure. about a moment. Sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, and with photography, you could you could say that, like, well, this guy's walking around. I don't know what his photographs are like. You know, this guy's walking around in nature and, like, f- seeing this thing and taking pictures And that disrupts that flow or something. Mm. But the truth is that at a certain point, that is the flow.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I find, you know, I find, I I certainly find that when I get behind a camera, um, it causes me to, Perceive the world very differently.
0: No, I mean I was at um, I, but in a good way. In a lot of cases, sure but, it can be because yeah. you're start, You're focusing on what you want to pay attention. You're, yeah, and that's what I meant. You're hyper focused. The guys out in the woods looking for things to photograph, because of that process, he's becoming aware of his surroundings. Exactly. You yeah, know? and then you know, but no, it is a little true. I mean, yesterday I was at the uh, I I went and saw Dan Nadel's, the, uh What Nerve exhibit at RISD. Mm. I was in Providence yesterday and I made sure to get there early enough that I could get in and see the show before my uh, signing. And, uh, you know, a lot of times when I'm in a place like that, especially where I'm overwhelmed by it, I mean, the amount of work that is like deeply personal to me, I mean, it was, I just couldn't believe that this show even existed, mm. you know? And I couldn't believe that it was happening right at a time when i'd be actually able to be in yeah. providence rhode island and see it it's like you know you these you know everything came together right but you know i have a problem in those kind of things whereas i'm like i'm trying to take all this stuff in i'm trying to read all the things i got like a time limit you know i'm just like looking at this stuff my mind is being blown i'm moving on the next thing my mind is being blown again <laughs> and uh you know it's 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 hard for me and that's what it is it's this constant like jumping around that causes a kind of disconnect um but i take solace in that there's a really nice catalog that i can like sit down and look through at my leisure and really focus on stuff but at the time you know it's just like i can't believe i'm here i'm looking at all this stuff i gotta move on to the next thing because i have limited time and you know, I could sit in here for weeks. Um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's I, I I sense that more so than like in my everyday life in terms of like oh this is gonna be a comic so it's taking me out of the moment yeah just like situations like that where I'm really well, I'm I'm self conscious of where I am what I'm viewing you know trying to remember things trying to take it all in. Like that alone takes me out of the kind of just pure experience of interacting with the work. But like I said, I'll I'll get the catalog and sit down and spend a couple
1: months. That's only I mean, and that, that, all of that has just gotten so much worse because there's just so much noise right now. Oh,
0: absolutely. <laughs> no, it's it's really really hard. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, I was gonna, when you mentioned the podcast, I I basically don't listen to podcasts. I mean, occasionally I do, but like. First of all, I don't really like sitting in front of a computer. Mm. So in order to listen, to, and I don't have, like, iPods yeah. or whatever the heck people use. <laughs> I guess iPods are, like, five years ago. But, um, and I also, like, so, like, there's a work thing. Like, to me, when I'm in front of a computer, I'm just working. I'm trying to get it done so I can not be in front of a computer. Yeah. But also, like, it's hard for me to do two things at once. mm I can't, like, get things done and listen to somebody talk. Mm. I'll just keep rewinding it because I won't, I can't, I'll be, get, my attention is taken by the thing I'm doing. I can't pay attention to that. So. You can't zone out and draw? Uh, sometimes when I'm inking, I can listen to music. Yeah. um, But not when I'm penciling or, or uh, certainly not when I'm writing. Well, because there's not a lot of,
1: I mean, obviously there's not a lot of superfluous you know lines on your page yeah you, you're not going to spend like a day cross hatching
0: right no yeah so i'm not saying they're doing kind of mind- I yeah. mean, to me the inking is a little bit mindless but even then i'm constantly adjusting the drawing and stuff with the inking but i i can get away with listening to music i mean originally i you know first thing i'd do is i'd go in a place i was working on art and crank up the radio or whatever you know and uh, it just got to be too distracting. The deeper I got involved in like working with the rhythms of comics, hmm. like I need to have that rhythm in my head and work with it without other, some other rhythm interfering with that. Um, for a while, so for a while, actually for a while, I could listen to music, like instrumental music, so I'd listen to jazz or whatever, and I could get away with that. And eventually, it's just I can't listen to music at all when I'm drawing hmm. or writing.
1: I mean, rhythm is a really interesting word in this context because you're speaking about. And there's other rhythms going on if you're listening to music, right? There's oh no, that's what I, I mean. It's yeah. like
0: I can't have these two like conflicting rhythms going on in huh. my head without it interfering with what I'm trying to do on the page.
1: Do 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 you, do you do you see it as almost being like a like a musical?
0: Yeah, I mean, people talk about it from. I mean.
1: Like I hate when people describe things as being like jazz, you know, it just no, feels no. a little contrived but
0: Yeah, but no, it's I mean it's true in that I mean I think of it in terms of poetry mm. as well because maybe that's I mean, i was a musician for many years, but I, for whatever reason I tend to think about comics in poetic terms. Well that's based very, on whatever Yeah, it's yeah. I mean the what I'm saying is like poetry, comics, uh music, film, those kind of art forms are um Really concerned with like moving the listener or the audience through time, but
1: but but comics is closer to poetry in that you well, sort of a, set the rhythm yourself yeah, as you're reading. Yeah, or, it's
0: a well, it's a written or you a, set the tempo as a yeah, reading. it's a it's probably... written page oriented yeah. form um, in which you know as a cartoonist you're making marks on paper that. Um, if everything works is kind of transmitting this idea you had in your head into this form that can be reproduced and read by other people. And then that idea is transmitted into their brains, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, it's like telepathy, but it goes through this, this intermediate stage. And so, you know, when I'm making these comics, there's a kind of rhythm and a flow and a direction to the the, the work that I'm trying to um, use every cartoonist trick in the book that I have in my arsenal to convey as effectively and efficiently as possible. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, poetry, there's all kinds of tricks that poets use to do the same thing, you know, things with spacing and s- syllable and and internal meters and rhythms and place placement of words on the page word choices punctuation gaps um you know those are all those are all techniques that as cartoonists we use as well yeah to convey that sense you know so it's you know I think of those art forms as similar because they're moving the reader through time, the viewer or the reader, or the listener, or whatever the term the audience is. You you have this idea that you're presenting to the to the audience that moves them through time. Do you, do you? I guess this is kind of a, a two parter, but do you um?
1: Do, do do you do you envision the reader being? sort of conscious of those decisions that you're making, and it's sort of related to that. I mean, how much how much time... I mean, th- this, is sort of, this is one of the big... I don't want to say problems, but it's sort of one of the issues with comics is the amount of time it takes to produce it versus the amount of time it takes to read it. Especially, and I, I think that's probably especially true with yours because, you know, in a lot of ways, like, you could potentially just blow through it because there's not as much to just sit there and stare at.
0: Yeah, there's, I mean... Uh, What I would say, like, I feel my job is, and I was just at CCS for two days, so I spent like two days talking about exactly this kind of thing, like, and this is not, you know, this is for me personally as a cartoonist. Other cartoonists have different goals that they're going to, they're trying to achieve with their work, and therefore they have different techniques and approaches to them. But for me personally, I'm trying to create kind of a seamless experience for the reader. So, um... You know, I work really hard to make those kind of rhythmic choices and moves, kind of subtle and natural, mm. so that the reader just kind of falls into this kind of flow and mm. moves through it, and kind of becomes immersed in that thing. Um, you know, I think of my comics very much like the visual part of my comics as much as the text as as writing. So I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to highly render the world with every little window and every yeah. little crossbar on the window i'm just trying to I'm when i draw a window or a car or a person or a cat or whatever i'm trying to put down the most like the 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 amount of information that's required to convey that idea to mm-hmm. the person to the reader without it's almost
1: like symbolism yeah or no it's, and that's yeah. what
0: i mean like Writing is very abstract, yeah. right? I mean, we use yeah. these abstract yeah. letters, but you, when you become proficient at reading, you learn what these letters mean, you ne- learn the sounds of them, you learn the way they combine with other letters and words to form ideas, right? It's a just an abstract, note-taking yeah. form of conveying information. And that's how I view, like, the visual part of my comics as well. It's like an abstracted shorthand for... Sure describing reality and so i want that to be as seamless as possible i mean and there are times where i'll pull the reader out of that intentionally you know i'll i'll let things get so abstracted that the reader kind of screeches to a halt a little bit he hmm. has to work a little bit you know and there's obviously there's cartoonists out there who are doing work where the whole intention is to constantly bombard yeah Bombard the reader with new information or conflicting information or difficult information that creates a completely different reading experience. But, and so, you know, of course, that's the appropriate way for them to work. That's what their intention is. That's what they're trying to do. For me, I'm trying to create more of a a seamless thing where the reader can enter it and kind of not really even know where they're going. They're just brought through it. And, you know, to a certain extent, you put all that work into your comics, right? Like you're talking about this amount of work and like trial and error and cutting things out and moving things around and adding things in, in the hopes of creating that kind of seamless environment for the reader to inhabit. Uh, once it's out in the world, it's kind of out of your hands. You do the best that you can given your skills and your intentions and, you know, hope for the best. And, uh, you know, just like a poet can spend all this time composing these things and placing the words on the page in a certain way. And, yeah, somebody can sit down and just be like, something there is it doesn't love a wall. It sends a groundswell, you know, or whatever. <laughs> it's like you're that's out of your control. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that's one of the things you have to come to terms with as a cartoonist is you put all this work into it. Um, somebody's going to get out of it what they put into it, and that's going to be different mm-hmm. for every reader. Um you know, I mean, there's been a few times where, like, I've actually put notation, like, please read slowly. Like, please read this slowly. Mm-hmm. Because if you blow through it, you're not going to get it, you know? Like, you need to put the brakes on a little bit here. Um, But again, you know, it's kind of out of your control at a certain point. Um, you do your best you can, and hope that people get it and you know i think people do get it in large part i mean for me one of the big turning points in my comic in my comics was it's i realized that there were readers of mine who were willing to invest the time and energy and and like actually really try to get what i was saying like Hmm. they they you know i would put out a new issue and i get you know i'm gonna may not be every reader, but, you know, I would get letters from some people back where I get like a four-page letter from someone and they're like, you know, sit down and kind of go through their experience of reading the new issue and and I, that was really inspiring to me because I realized that maybe even if it's only a small percentage, there is some percentage of my audience that is willing to try to get out of it what yeah. I'm putting into it and that inspired me to be to put more into it. I mean I I mean I don't mean physically, right? It's very yeah, minimal, yeah. but just like to invest this amount of energy and kind of intention. I put intention into my comics and hope that that comes out too.
1: Do you do you, do you go through drafts? Do you throw a lot of stuff away?
0: Uh I throw a lot of stuff away. I mean There was a period where I probably was like, for every comic that ended up in King Cat, there'd be three comics that just didn't make the cut, Mm. you know. Maybe they weren't even finished comics, they were germs of comics, or I'd sit down and pencil a few pages and it just didn't really take form. Um, So I am, you know, I really, it was a very paring down process. I think because nowadays I'm working so slowly... You know, by the time I actually sit down to do an issue, I have a pretty good idea of what's going to be in there and mm. how it's going to work and stuff. So I'm not so much like creating a body of stuff and then editing that body down yeah. into a published form. You know, I, and it's just because of the nature of my life has changed to where, you know, I'm working a lot slower than I used to be. But yeah, there's, I mean, for me, the bulk of the work is writing and editing that writing to the point where feels like it makes sense to sit down and start drawing i'm not like one i'm not one of those cartoonists that's compulsively drawing all the time Mm. on napkins or whatever at the bar and you know it had carries my sketchbook with me everywhere like to me drawing is it serves it's a purposeful act where like okay i have the story that i need it's not a compulsion yeah so i have to draw yeah you know i mean i you know if i'm on the phone i'll do doodles or whatever like anybody but um like, it's a very, there's a sp- very specific purpose for my drawing, you know. So, I, but, you know, but a large part of the process for me is mostly writing. Yeah. And and then that is a huge, like, I will write 20 pages of notes for a story and pare it down to two pages of notes that end up being a comic that's, you know, one page long or something. So, that part is... Where the time consumption is mostly. Once I get to that point where I can see the comic in my head, and know where it's going, you know, knock on wood, I can usually, you know, I, I obviously I don't have to spend as much time on mm. on a page of comics as Dan Klaus or some, you know Chris Ware or something. So it goes pretty quickly, if you know. And even the drawings, if if I don't get it right the first time, that's usually a bad sign because I'll end up like erasing until the paper shreds, like mm. trying to get the drawing right. But um, oftentimes by the time I draw, I've I've worked it through in my head so much that it's just kind of like, okay, I just have to put this down on paper now.
1: It's sort of in- interesting that, you know, obviously a lot of artists are, are, are literally compelled to draw, like, you know, almost can't shut it off, but writing, it's very rare that writing is as compulsive of an act. I mean, it, there certainly are people out there.
0: Yeah, I mean it's just a different approach and it's not like i you know i don't wake up every morning and write 10 pages of stuff or whatever again i write for a purpose like okay well i have this idea for a story i'll sit down pull out my notebook and write i mean oftentimes depends on what the piece is sometimes my comics are like a 10 line poem that i convert into comics form but like the more narrative ones the ones where i'm telling these like bigger true stories i mean certainly the stuff that's in the new book that is a hugely time-consuming amount of writing, you know, and I'll, I'll oftentimes I'll do these things I call memory pages where, I mean, even for a simple memory, like I remember that one night when, you know, I don't know, we went to that one restaurant and afterwards, you know, we saw an a uh, meteor or something, whatever, I'm making that up. But I will sit down and I'll write like just as much as I can about that experience. Mm. I'll try to remember everything I can. And just kind of spontaneously wherever it takes me because, you know, the process of writing that stuff out will might lead me to other memories or other mm. feelings or things like that. And then, you know, I'll write till I kind of exhaust the idea. And then I'll use that huge block of text and ideas and phrases and, you know, feelings and start to whittle that mm. down to, to – the essential part of it to what will make it onto a comics page you know so you know it's it depending on what the comic is it's a different process I've always just felt like each story needs its own thing and my job as a cartoonist is to give it what it needs I may not know when I start what it needs but it's a process of figuring that out so you know some comics need to be one page long yeah. you know some comics need to be 100 pages long and kind of depends you know i could write about the same thing that i spend 100 pages on in a one page comic it would obviously be very different but it could be you know you're distilling the the essence of that 100 pages into
1: one page yeah I mean need because you said some need to be this long some need to be need, need is sort of an interesting word in this case because I don't, I don't know if need is actually even really appropriate right because you can as long as you find the right thing within that context the same story can be
0: sure but the way I the way the story is presenting to me in itself like mm-hmm. I, what I'm saying is if, if there's a one page comic I'm not going to force it to be a hundred page comic yeah. I'm yeah. not going to like find some tricky way to make it a hundred pages, yeah. and vice versa. You know, if something needs to be a hundred pages, I'm not going to force it to be. I'm saying that I could have the same experience, and depending on the impulse, I it see. could end up in very different forms. My my job as a cartoonist to figure out what that form, yeah. what the comic wants.
1: Yeah, which is, cause we talked about this a little bit when when um, we were talking about your new book, because I mean that's an example, I think, of you. Um, because cause there's there there is a lot of overlap between the different chapters, and and it seems to be in some cases of you finding different essences in the same story.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about in that other interview, but yeah, the three stories were kind of written independently of each other, you know. And it was at some point in the process, which was a very long process, that it seemed like it made sense to com- put them all together for a number of reasons, you know, just, like, practical reasons, but also taken as a whole, they create this larger arc, and these three stories clearly are inspired by and reflect upon each other and stuff. So it made sense to present them to the world as a piece. Um, You know, and that's probably kind of an example, too, of, like, I didn't really know what these comics wanted to be. It took years to work on them and figure them out and get a sense of how they how they wanted to be presented or need you know you know i mean it's like it's weird or esoteric or corny or whatever but it's you're having a dialogue with your own art you know Mm -hmm. you're like you're engaging with your own work and it's taking you places you didn't know it was going to take you and you know you're trying to wrestle with it a little bit and figure out what it means and how you want to how you want to put it out in the world and stuff like that and you know at some point it just kind of becomes clear okay this is what the comic wants this is how it should be
1: so you get that sort of like michelangelo sense of like you know what i mean the the, the piece of granite and there's a yeah, statue it, in there it, there's
0: something in there yeah I, I mean it is yeah that's kind of true i'm not comparing myself to no, Michelangelo. But, but but yeah no that's you're liberating the story <laughs> yeah there's some there's something in there and that's what i mean by need like it it needs to be presented a certain way your job is to figure out what that is mm. and do your best to to bring that to fruition
1: and has has meditation as your zen practice has that helped you hone in on where the story is
0: i mean i almost I, i'm always a little squirmy talking about how zen has helped me or whatever because yeah. it goes a little bit beyond that like i said i mean it's just my life is zen practice. Yeah. So like working on comics is zen practice, paring these things down is a But I mean it's it's and a... screwing things up is zen practice and like making mistakes and making the wrong choice is also zen practice. So um i i can i feel like zen practice has helped my life. Yeah. in you know every kind of tiny way. So i undoubtedly, I'm just saying
1: from from the standpoint that it's it's really affected the way you think and, and... How you look at things?
0: Well, it's probably helped me focus, yeah, on things, and you know, like I said, in a certain way, Zen practice is like getting to the root of things. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and so uh, I'm sure that it has has you know changed my approach to to how I look at things, but it's changed my approach how I look at just about everything. And that's what I mean. I'm not trying yeah. to be – I'm not trying to, like, dodge around the question. It's just really kind of hard to think about it in those well, terms let, because – let's look at it this it's way. It's changed the way I do the dishes. Yeah. You know, so, like
1: but, – But, no, but exactly. But let's look at it this way then. Let, let's look at, like, something you're doing now versus something you were doing b- before this. And, you know, can can you really look at those two pieces and – is it clear the way that this specific and very important aspect of your life has made for a different approach to the work and has resulted in, in a different kind of work?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it has. I'm sure it has, but how to really give you a specific sure. example or something, I don't know. I mean, like I I do feel like I kind of was on this wavy little path anyway yeah. where I kind of was like going off to the side and looking at things and figuring out, you know, making my way through the world in a way that was conducive to Zen practice before I discovered mm-hmm. Zen practice. So that's why, you know, I, I, I've said it so many times now, but like when yeah. I discovered Zen I feel like it was putting on like finding an old pair of shoes you yeah. forgot you had and you put it on and it's just like oh yeah of course I have like here's this thing I've it's just comfortable it, it connects it feels right mm-hmm. to me and so the, you know certainly my life did change a lot in that period but it also I mean there's so many other things that happen like sure. around that time is when I started having health problems and that just naturally hones your perception Mm. you know I mean your awareness of mortality or having you know I had health problems such that I was kind of forced to go within to withdraw from the outside world I had this terrible hearing problem that made it difficult to engage with the outside world a lot of times Um, you know I was ill I was spending time by myself I was kind of I, I would have gone within anyway uh, it all happened at the same time, kind of. So, where one, where it, yeah. if something came from one thing or came from another, but to me, it's just, it's this whole thing that happened, sure. and I don't really. I've you, never, you can't pick pieces out of yeah, your life. Yeah, I've never even really necessarily yeah. sought, felt the need to pick pieces out and figure it out. I just felt, well, this is my life, this is how it happened, and here's where I am now. You know, I mean, some people were asking me. Too, and it was a kind of tricky question, and I needed to think about it. Like, as my comics got really more refined and really minimal and really Mm. more precise, that did coincide with my really beginning to explore Zen seriously and stuff like that. But it also corresponded with a lot of other things. Yeah. Like, it corresponded, first of all, it corresponded with like I switched from rapidographs to microns, which just gave me a lot of greater control, Mm -hmm. right? I've started using rapidographs again after, like, I don't know, 15 years of using Mm -hmm. microns. And I'm trying to relearn how to use this other pen. But it was, like, as soon as I started drawing with it again, I, like, regressed 15 years. And my ability to, like, be really precise and, you know, the, the pen hits a little crag in the paper and it kind of jumps a little. And there's a little bit of scratchiness to the line and stuff. And I'm, like, you know... My materials affected how precise and how focused I could get with my work. And also, you know, on the other hand, I also developed like really bad obsessive compulsive disorder. So there's another example of where like I've got to get this thing right. You know, I'm I'm hyper aware of everything that I'm doing and like trying to find this inexpressible line that, you know, is really tough to find. So all these things happened to me at once. I mean, it very well may be that I, my comics got super precise and really focused because I had OCD. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's probably a little bit of all those things, you know, but, um, I mean, it certainly did coincide with me discovering Zen and kind of starting to explore it seriously. And, and, uh, so but again I don't I don't necessarily I always try to let things just be natural and not fight them too much or second guess them too much and I guess it goes for stuff like that too it's just like well these these were the circumstances of my life and they led my art to be a certain way and as the circumstances change my art will continue to adapt you know um so I I try not to sweat it too much why
1: why did you make the jump back to the old pens
0: uh, I don't really like microns. Sorry, Sakura or whoever makes them nowadays. But um, this is
1: after 15 years of using them. I mean, well, they because did the I, job.
0: I, I I'm always struggling with my materials, so I'm always trying to find yeah. like the thing that works best for me. Kind of what happened, I think, was um, I got a good use out of microns for like my all I'm drawing is this simple line, right? So like the only thing on the page is the line quality. The line quality is screwed up. The page is screwed up, you know, mm. or at least that's how it is in my head. And so microns are just really unpredictable. Mm. Like you get a new one, you have to break it in for a couple of pages, like until like the, the nib is like polyester yeah. or something. And it's just, it's always kind of like craggly and scratchy a little bit at first. And then it breaks into this like just smooth, hmm. beautiful liquid line. And then it starts to break down. So then the the line starts to get scraggly again. And then miraculously, I don't know the physical process that it's going through, but you go through that part where it gets kind of scraggly and the line starts to dry out. And then it just like, it gets a second life. Yeah. Where it's just like, oh my God, this is like the best line I've ever drawn. And then it dies. (laughs) So like, it drives me crazy that I could draw a 10 page comic and like every two pages, the line quality is different. Yeah. So with a rapidograph, it's this stainless steel nib. You put the ink in, it comes out. It's exactly the same every time, you know, unless you're messing with it or you screw the pen up or something. And um, I used to just draw on laser paper, you know, because it was like cheap. I could buy a ream of 500.
1: Just like printer paper sort of? Almost. Yeah, yeah, just
0: like, you know, a good quality yeah. laser paper that's really smooth. And you know I draw a hundred percent, so I get two pages mm. of King Cat from each eight and a half by eleven mm-hmm. sheet. So I could get I'd, I'd buy like a ream of five hundred sheets, and I get a thousand pages of comics out of it for like ten bucks, you know. And um, the paper that I used for years and years, they stopped making, and I kind of struggled to find some new stuff. I ended up using finally after like twenty years of drawing comics, I started drawing on Bristol board. Mm and so that was a learning process again and i mean because the bristle board's a little bit toothier even though i use the smooth bristle and it just devours those microns i mean it just wrecks them you know you barely get i i think i figured out i can get about eight pages of inked comics out of a out of a micron before i have to i just like give up like i learned like don't push it any farther because you're just going to pull your hair out so like I usually do, like, a page of, like, sacrificial inking to break it in. And then I can get, like, nine pages, eight pages, depending on if there's a lot of lettering, because Java really takes a lot more ink and stuff. Um, And then I just put it to the side and I Mm. grab a new one, make a sacrificial page of inking. So, like, I get just, like, sick of dealing with that. So I thought I would try to, you know, use the rapidographs again. Which, I mean, rapidographs, too, It's like, it's a very sensual thing. I mean you can feel the ink coming out. You can see the ink kind of beat a little bit and then, mm. like, kind of dry into the paper, and it's, you know, it's just, like, very luscious line to draw with, but it comes with its own set of problems. So, um, I, you would think that after, like, 30 years of drawing comics, I would have figured out what materials to use and how to use them, but it's been a constant struggle.
1: Yeah. Do you- do you miss just this sort of simple, like the the really basic tools you used to use?
0: Well, I always used Rapidographs. That's okay. what I started out with. Okay. Um, I use Rapidographs just because I think when I went to college, I had to take like a two D design course, and it was like a you had to buy this set okay. of Rapidographs. I was like okay, well, these are ink pens. I guess I'll use them to make comics or whatever. You know, I I you know, like I said, I I I didn't grow up in a comics world. I wasn't like obsessed with comics. I never read how to draw comics the Marvel way or whatever, you know, so I never had, I didn't know about, like, I I wonder about that every once in a while. Where It's like, how did I know you're supposed to, like, draw with a pencil and then ink over it? Yeah. Because, like, that's a real, that's obviously, that's, like, traditional comics approach. Well, that's just about
1: making mistakes. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But,
0: but, you know, like, I, I didn't, it was just all trial and error. On the other hand, I feel lucky because, like, from the get-go i never had any like preconceptions about what comics could or could not be yeah you know i never had to like like you know exercise the ghosts of my x-men past or whatever you know <laughs> like I, it, every other indie yeah comic you know it is. was just like from the very beginning yeah. comics could be anything they could look like anything yeah. they could be about any subject matter and so i feel lucky about that too but um yeah i forget what the question was but well we're we're comics um
1: were comics you know, that that you described Zen as being this old old shoe were were comics that old shoe that fit that i mean it, it yeah i mean it sounds I, like you were saying that like you couldn't really do anything else like you were born to do this
0: well, for me, it was like as long as I can remember, I've been drawing yeah. and and writing too and obsessed with books and pages and magazines and newspapers and the the printed page you know you know as i had a handful of comic books as a kid you know where like literally i'm old enough that i would like get on the L to go downtown in chicago and there'd be a newsstand at the train station and there would be a spinner rack of mm-hmm. comics and you'd buy comics and gum or whatever and get on the train and read it and um
1: it sounds really nice.
0: <laughs> Actually, this guy kind of like it is. That. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'd like to go back to that day yeah. every once in a while. But um, you know, I had a handful of comics, and they were mostly this was early seventies. So I didn't really even have superhero comics. I had to like, mm. I think I had a Superman comic. I had a Flash comic. I remember, but otherwise, I had like uh, because of the early seventies, the comics code relaxed. So all of a sudden, they could talk about vampires yeah. and werewolves and ghosts and stuff like that. And so. Um, most of the comics I would get because I was really into monster movies and stuff. I get like you know supernatural monster mm. comics and stuff like that, you know. Um, but I did like obsessively read the newspaper funnies every day and stuff like that. So you know that's where comics yeah. came from. And also just like watching monster movies on TV and you know a panel of comics is like a screen of a TV, and you draw this picture and then you draw this next picture, and it's like a movie. Hmm. And uh, so I think that was my inspiration. But it just was very natural that, I mean, all my interests led to comics because it was writing, it was drawing, it was on a paper. It was, you know, you can make book form stuff. It was reproducible. It like, you know, pushed all my creative buttons, the buttons that I've had, like literally as long as I can remember. So, uh, you know, I was an artist from an early age I knew I wanted to be an artist and you know when I went to college and stuff I was a painting major and I was more involved in the fine art world and things like that but, um, but by, by the time I graduated from college I realized that comics was for me it was like the most appropriate medium to yeah. use to express myself and so you know like I was at the museum yesterday I spent a lot of time in museums looking at art and stuff it's not like I think it's you know, worthless or, you know, at all. I I think it's amazing. But for me personally, I just felt uh, comics uh, was the right way for me to engage the world as an artist. Yeah. Um, You know, for all those, a lot of different reasons. I mean, not just those, like, childhood aesthetic reasons, but as a fine artist, coming out of, you know, punk rock and do-it-yourself and kind of a very working-class background and stuff, it was... I had a lot of ethical issues with the gallery world and mm. and fine arts and stuff, and um, comics solved all those all those issues for me. So like, by the time I grad I graduated from college in 1990, so I'd been drawing King Cat for a few years, and obviously comics before that before I started that series, and it was just like all that stuff came together, and it was just, that was like an epiphany of like. <laughs> comics just solves it all just like this is the way I should make art from now on so you know I still have paints at home and I'll pull them out every once in a while and do stuff for fun on my own but it's not really for public consumption or anything it's more for like exercising my brain and stuff like that but as far as the way I want to engage with the world as an artist it's it's through comics and that's really clear to me
1: and you 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 did all this before you had any realization that there were people just like you out there doing not the same thing, but you, you know, spiritually similar things. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. You know, I mean, when I, I, I guess I was like a freshman in high school stuff. I can't remember if it was like June, like the end of junior high, beginning of, of high school. I, I'd always been making these little books as a kid. I would just like take paper, fold it, make a little booklet, you know, glue the edges or staple the edges and I would draw in them. And, uh, you were making zines. Yeah, but in in editions of one, yeah. you know. And and uh, at some point, my dad got a photocopier at his office where he worked. And, you know, it blew my mind. And so I would, like, do these comics or whatever and give them to my dad and have him go to work. And he'd come home. I'd be all excited. I'd be like, you got the stuff? You know, he'd pull them out and be eight, 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 eight copies of this Dungeons and Dragons comic Mm. or something, and I'd go to school the next day and give them to my friends and stuff. So I did that, and uh, in high school when I discovered punk rock, my friends and I did kind of like an underground newspaper kind of thing that just, you know, made fun of everybody. And it it had, (laughs) like, like, some record reviews and band reviews and just, like, cut and paste, like the typical high school zine stuff. But we didn't know there were zines, you know. It wasn't until... Uh, like the spring of '87, I was doing this art and poetry magazine called Kosoiko in college, my freshman year of college, and uh, this Gal Laney, the oyster, got a hold of one and sent me a copy of her own little art and poetry magazine called Lime Green Bulldozers, and it was Laney who showed me a fact sheet five, and that was, you know, I don't, early on in '87, and that's when like my my whole world exploded. You know, it was just like I can't believe there are like people all over the world mm. doing this kind of thing. I had no idea. You know, I mean, I'd go to the punk rock record store or whatever, and there'd be fanzines on the on the rack, but you know, they were offset printed. They had yeah. like half tone photos of yeah. bands on labels, and you know, what me and my friends were doing was really like of a different on a different level. Mm. You know, it was. Um, so, I you know, I knew that there was stuff out there. I didn't know that there was this entire like vast network of people self publishing all over the world, and so i mean that was that was the turning point when i she handed me that fact sheet five. I was like, "This is what I want to do." yeah you know I mean for me, it was always about communicating with people. I was really shy as a kid and kind of socially inept, and yet I had all the stuff inside that I wanted to express I knew i- I was writing I was drawing I wanted to, you know. And I think that making these little magazines kind of allowed me to express myself in a way that I felt more comfortable with. So, you know, discovering g Five, discovering that there were all these people all over doing this kind of thing, like the potential for communicating mm-hmm. with people, I just realized, wow, this is huge. And and I've you know I've been involved in it ever since.
1: When when did you realize it? Like I mean, that, you know, that's like on the face of it. You know, it, it, and doing anything autobiographical seems like it could be just very sort of self-indulgent to assume that other people care, or to assume that other people, you know, want 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 to hear your story. At, at what point did you realize that they might?
0: Well, yeah, I mean that's a line that any autobiographical artist has to skirt, right? Yeah. It's written, it's a tough one, and I wish I there was some answer that I could give out <laughs> to people, like how do you know where that line is? Yeah. because if you could solve a lot of heartache out there but i mean like i said for me i was really interested in real life you know and so my art naturally reflected that and my comics naturally reflected that um i was just trying to do what came natural you know like i was i had this impulse i was drawn to make things this certain way Mm. about this certain subject matter and, I mean, there was no audience, right? You yeah. know, I mean, the first issue yeah. King Cat I made 18 copies of, and that pro- it probably took me six months to blow through that print run, you know? And there was no audience. So I was just sharing them with my friends yeah. and stuff like that. and um, People who do have some investment in your story. Yeah, know well, you. kind of. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I'd i send a copy to yeah. Fact Sheet 5, and maybe I would get a couple, two or three orders in the mail, you know, and I'd send them out, and... You know, those people oftentimes, especially back then, they would respond. You know, they'd send their own zine or Mm -hmm. they'd give you some kind of reply about what they thought about your work and stuff like that. So, you know, it it was getting out there. People were seeing it, but it was on a level that just never really, you know, I never had to worry about, like, am I being really self-indulgent? I was just doing this thing and sending it out Um, for whatever, like I, I say, for whatever reason, this was what I felt like doing. I don't particularly know why, but... And there weren't, you know, there weren't much... There wasn't much in terms of autobiography out there. I mean, obviously, like, Crumb did some. um, Justin Green and Dory Seda. I mean, people did autobiographical strips. Picar would have been right around then. Yeah, I mean, I specifically avoided reading Picard because early people would just be like, oh, you must know about Harvey Uh, Picard, right? Like, he does these, like, really kind of short stories about where nothing happens and they're really similar to yours (laughs) and like i intentionally i was like i don't want to see what he does because i don't want it to like sully what i'm doing so it took me a long time to like have the self-confidence enough and like okay i'll check out this big car guy (laughs) i mean i remember in some ways it was you know when chester brown switched over to autobiography that was when the floodgates opened and i i knew it when i got that new yummy fur and it wasn't ed the happy clown it was mm. you know, i don't know remember what it was if it was the playboy stories or, or what his first autobio story was but i was like man it's over <laughs> everybody's gonna do this everybody's now do it. yeah. <laughs> and it's kind of came true yeah 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 and here we are <laughs>
1: There you go. That was episode seventy-five of RYL featuring John Porcelino, great guy. Uh, in fact, we actually recorded that one in his hotel in Brooklyn. Uh, he was just sitting down for breakfast, and he, he offered me an English muffin because that's that's the kind of guy he is. Uh, got a lot of really good episodes of the show lined up. I was trying to figure out which one I wanted for episode seventy-five. Kind of a kind of a special occasion. No, I didn't didn't, didn't know if we'd make it this far. I've I've launched a lot of podcasts in the in the past and. Um, a pretty pretty small pretty small percentage of them in the long run have actually made it into the double digit so uh, pretty exciting to get this far um, wanted to pick what I thought was um I don't know, I guess perfectly encapsulated is what we're trying to do here on the show, and I think the, the John Porcelino one did just that, really, really wide-ranging, hit a lot of topics, uh, all of them very interesting. John's John's been around for a long time, he's got a new book out on Drawn and Quarterly right now called The Hospital Suite, which I, I believe is his longest form book to date, definitely definitely worth checking out, and of course, um, his, his long, long time mini-comic uh, King Cat, you can pick up. Uh, I assume at finer comic stores everywhere. Or John, John is pretty much on the road at all times, so you can uh, also check that out at your your local uh, small press comic convention. Uh, so thanks so much to John for for taking the time to do that. Um, thanks Tim for for, for 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 making a moment in this very very busy New York weekend for the the, the book expo. Um, and, and actually uh, agreeing to do a second conversation as, as we sort of said towards the top of, of, of this conversation uh, we had just spoken with one another uh, I had done a uh, publisher's weekly profile on him uh, but you know he's, he, he, he's, he's lived a fascinating life and there's always more there's always more stuff to, to cover with him so I think we did a, a pretty good job of managing to, to hit a completely, uh, completely different point so if you did enjoy that conversation then by all means uh, check out the other conversation that I had with him like roughly like i don't know two or three weeks before uh, we recorded this one so thanks so much to him thanks to uh, peggy and everybody at drawn and quarterly for setting that one up uh thanks to brian as always for editing the show together but most of all thanks to you guys thanks to the listeners uh for 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 downloading and listening to the show um thanks for thanks for sticking with us through through 75 episodes of, of fairly a name chatter. I uh, hope you liked what you heard If you're a first time listener and you've got any feedback If you're a long time listener and have any feedback We've got an email address Any length of listener at all, I will accept um, I don't know uh, If you're not listening to this right now I, I think you're kind of out of the running But that's rawildcast at gmail.com If you've got any feedback or questions Or I guess if you want to suggest guests I've uh, got a Tumblr That's riwildcast.tumblr.com Dot com. You can follow us over there. You'll get the show uh, before you'll get it anywhere else, but before you even get it on iTunes. Um, and, and, you know, we're also on the Boing Boing page over at iTunes. And if you liked what you heard, why not, uh, why not rate the show? Uh, thanks for sticking with us through 75 episodes. I uh, We're going to keep this chronological thing we've got going episode 76 coming up next week all sorts of awesome guests lined up thank you guys so much and I will catch you just about this time next week with another episode of ROYL.